It's Tuesday, March 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today for Molly Fool Deep Value, Ron Gross. Thanks for being here, man. My pleasure, as always. And this is yet again one of those times where I, I mean it more than usual when I say thanks <laughs> for being here because I. I gave you like two hours heads up. Like, you hey. did, and the weather was pretty <laughs> dicey this morning. I was like, hmm. Yes. So, <laughs> Full Fest, our two day event with members from our Motley Fool One service and Supernova Million Dollar Portfolio and Pro is going on. So, we're actually taping this ahead of time. We're taping this on a Monday. Uh, just to set the stage, we will talk about Warren Buffett's letter to shareholders. We'll talk a little bit about valuation, which I know is right up your alley. But let's start. With lumber liquidators, and this must is gonna, we? We're, this is going to require some setup, so so bear with me. Uh, last week, lumber liquidators was trading around sixty nine dollars a share, and then the company and CEO Robert Lynch disclosed two pieces of information. The first is that the U.S. Justice Department may file criminal charges relating to an inquiry that began back in twenty thirteen for a violation of import laws that sent the stock down about twenty five percent in a single day. They also disclosed that 60 Minutes was doing a story on lumber liquidators and that it would not put the company in a favorable light. I think that's actually what set the stock down that day, more so than the first. Um, And so, again, we're taping this on a Monday. This is a very fluid story because the piece aired last night. I didn't see it. I've talked to some people who have seen it and and said it it was pretty damning. Yeah, I've seen it. Now we sit... Uh, middle of the day on Monday, and earlier the stock was not trading at all. No, it was halted. Yeah, and, n- wh- and typically not a good sign. Usually means there's a trade imbalance. People um, looking to flood the market with sell orders, and there's not enough buy orders to soak up um, that supply, so the stock doesn't open. And, but right before you walked in here, you said, "Oh, it it has actually started trading." Yeah, we're down twenty two percent as right before I came into the studio. Um, the company has also put out a statement uh, basically denying what 60 Minutes had to say, saying that they are compliant. Um, I guess and, the, we, and, yeah. and this had to do with um, fa- formaldehyde levels in the wood. The laminate flooring that they sell, um, specifically the, the flooring made in China. Um, and short sellers, specifically really Whitney Tilson, um, has um, come out and re- been very vocal that the company was in violation. He actually, I believe, brought this to 60 Minutes, 60 Minutes to their own investigation, um, even went to China with hidden cameras um, and said that the formaldehyde levels of this uh, laminate flooring is way too high um, for safety reasons, for health reasons. Um, obviously, that would be a tremendously big deal if it ends up being true, both from a liability perspective. They had someone on the show saying he wants lumber liquidators to remove the unhealthy wood and replace it at their cost. If that actually came to fruition and they had to do that across the board to thousands and thousands of homes, the liability would be tremendous. I don't know how insured they are for something like this. So you do have a a nuts and bolts kind of money liability issue here. But then you also have a, a tarnished brand, and both of those things combined would be, I think, very hard to recover from. Yeah, because when you look at a stock that was trading close to $70 a share and is now in the neighborhood of $40 a share, if 
the company is to be believed if nothing comes to fruition, if the Justice Department says, we looked into this and there's no there there, then this is you know, close to the mother of all buying opportunities. <laughs> but the brand thing that you mentioned, that that could, I don't know. I, the, the first thing that came to mind when you mentioned that was Yum! Brands, mm. uh, parent company of KFC, and they had chicken supply issues in China that did terrible things to their same-store sales numbers. And then once everything was clean. It's like, no, our chicken supply is totally set. We're fine. There are still probably plenty of people saying, that's fine that you've you've done that, but I'm still not interested in going back to your restaurant. Right. And, and who is really going to go into lumber liquidators if if they believe that lumber liquidators has been putting poisonous uh, wood into people's homes? That that would be tough to overcome. Um, I think it's important you know, to understand that we don't know if this is true. Very often, you know, foolish investors say, oh, the stock is down. I love this company. I'm going to buy more. That isn't always the right thing to do, especially in a case like this where this could be severe, could have really severe repercussions. So I think um, investors really need to wait and see where this goes, because it's possible a, co- a company could not potentially recover from something this damning. But as, as we said, Lumber Liquidator has denied that this is the case, and I think we'll have to wait and, and see. Before we move on to Warren Buffett's letter, what do you think is the next domino to fall here? For people who are watching this story and thinking, you know, if they're like me and they don't own Lumber Liquidators, but as I said, if there's no there there and they are able to do damage control, then this is a phenomenal buying opportunity. What is, is it the next earnings report? Is it the next bit of news out of the Justice yeah. Department? You know, I think what originally raised red flags to the short sellers out there was these incredible margins that lumber liquidators had. And they said, how, how could they have such great margins? Like, I, where are they buying their supplies from? Are they buying them on the cheap? Um, and that raised a red flag, and it caused them to dig deeper. And then, aha, we think we've found not just the one thing you originally mentioned, which was illegal sources sourcing of wood from Russia, um, which is protected, that that timber, um, but now potentially even worse, the formaldehyde issue. So I don't. I think there's going to be an ongoing investigation, and that's what we're going to have to watch. Meanwhile, you're going to see floods of shareholder lawsuits come out. Once one comes out, then all the other kind of ambulance chasing type of lawyers, forgive me for for the disparaging comment, do jump on. You'll see. You know. You'll see them roll out over the next several days. Um, the stock is going to be stuck in the mud until some kind of resolution comes. So I would say, at best, it's dead money. At worst, the stock continues to fall. Is your reaction the same as mine when you see a billboard along the highway advertising legal <laughs> services? I, I instantly have a negative reaction. Maybe that's because of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. But I, I, I never. I'm getting my legal representation. I never from. look at one of those billboards and think. I penalize the law firm for having that. I don't penalize other businesses for doing that. If there's a movie on a billboard, I'm not knocking the movie just based on how they advertise. But for some reason, and I, I would th- I would think the same with medical care. You know, one eight hundred surgeon is not <laughs> get, getting my business. <laughs> Every year, the president of the United States gives the State of the Union address. In the investing world, the closest equivalent I can think of is Warren Buffett's annual shareholder. To le- uh, annual letter to shareholders um, that came out over the weekend. You've had a chance to digest it. What stands out to you other than Warren Buffett's enduring optimism for the U.S. economy? 
Well, as you said, this this is always a big deal for investors every year, certainly, especially value investors like myself. It's kind of like the, the, the Bible that gets rewritten every year, or at least, you know, the intro to to the Bible, and uh, people wait for it and, and digest it, you know, uh, as quickly as possible. Um, it's always great to he- read uh, what he has to say, and I would recommend that investors go back over the years and read them all. It's better than any textbook, any MBA course that you could ever take um, if you really want to learn about how to run a business and how to invest. And I think they're all online, aren't they? They all are online on the Berkshire website. On the and incredibly right rudimentary, looks like it was built in 1996, <laughs> Berkshire <laughs> Hathaway website. Well, there's only 25 employees at Berkshire's uh, headquarters, which they're very, very proud of mentioning, and they constantly do. So there's probably not a lot of website people over there. Um, but this year, um, it didn't disappoint. Lots of great nuggets, as always, typically written in that kind of folksy way that Buffett writes, which is very appro- approachable, very foolish. Um, he explains things. He's always very self-deprecating. He's the first to point out mistakes that he made going back to even the very beginning. And if he hadn't made this mistake, we'd be worth more. And if we hadn't made this mistake, everybody would be doing better. Um, so he's always very, very aware of, of both his, his mistakes and the things he's done well. Uh, this year, along with all the great nuggets, and we can get into some, we, we heard from Charlie Munger, um, the vice chairman, uh, Buffett's right-hand man, 91 years old, a big part of Berkshire's success. Um, he added his um, 10 cents to, to the letter, which was great to hear. And he actually named names when it comes to potential successors. These names were not new to anyone, but he actually put them down in writing in a paragraph about succession, which was very interesting. Ajit Jain who is on the investment side. Reinsurance. The reinsurance. Re- reinsurance. Yeah. And uh, Greg Abel from Berkshire's energy business. And you're right. Th- these are not new names, but for anyone who thought Ted Wessler or Todd Combs, who are managing part of Berkshire's portfolio, if anyone thought one of those two was in the running, you can probably cross them off your list now. The, the, one of the things that struck me, and I, I honestly don't I didn't read the entire letter, so I don't know if this was something he hit in the letter, um, but I know he hit it in his interview with Becky Quick. Um, for the first time, to my recollection, he was Buffett was specific about the timing of CEO succession. And, and what I mean by that is he has no plans to step down anytime soon, right. but he also for lack of a better term, made it sound like this was a just-add-water wa- just plan. Like, this plan is in place, and this is not going to take months on end for the board to approve or something like that. When I'm no longer the CEO, the next CEO is going to be in place real fast. And yeah. I think I, maybe that's not surprising, but I suppose that's reassuring. That's one more reassuring thing if you're a Berkshire shareholder. It is good. It's good to know. And I, I don't recall the quote, but I'll paraphrase. And basically, it said, we know who the guy is. He's, right. We got him. Um, versus before, he said, we, we, we know it's a you know, small handful of people, any one of which would do a better job than me. He's always, you know, mm. as, in that self-deprecating way. Um, but now we, we probably haven't narrowed down to two. Either one of these guys would, would, would either one would be, would be great. And as you said, um, Ted and Tom... Todd. Todd. Yeah, them. Um, are going to focus on investing. And we always kind of thought that. He said, Buffett said right up, you know, we're going to split my job into investing and, and, and operating and CEO type functions. Um, interestingly, Buffett is having his investors each become the chairman of one company that Buffett um, owns to give them business operating experience. 
Buffett is famous for saying he's a better investor because he's a businessman and a better businessman because he is an investor. And he wants to make sure his investors that will one day um, take over the helm of, of this you know, multi-billion dollar portfolio have the same benefit. He also confirmed that they did, in fact, sell out of ExxonMobil. I know that at least a couple of our colleagues here at The Motley Fool were floating the conspiracy theory, their words, not mine, that, in fact, despite reports in the recent weeks, that they thought, yeah, there's a chance that he still owns it, that he's in the middle of a transaction, and that's why it didn't show up in the last report. Um, you were telling me something earlier about C's Candies. Ah, such a great business. So, which, a small are, little business yeah. acquired long, long time ago for $25 million. They've, over the years, had to put in another $40 million or so into the business. So, a total investment of $65 million. Uh, that business has returned $1.9 billion of pre-tax profits over the years. Um, just a wonderful little little business. He talked about always wanting to uh, expand the candy business at Berkshire. The opportunity never really arose, but that little little company has, has just really paid dividends. Well, and if you want yet another reason to think long-term in your investing, it was 1967 that Warren Buffett bought Berkshire for $8.6 million. The company today has a value of somewhere in the neighborhood of $110 billion. Not bad. That's a nice turnaround. That's why they call them the Oracle. Um, you are going to be doing an hour-long presentation at Fool Fest about valuation. I don't want you to... <laughs> Do you want, me to, you want it all right here? Yeah, I'm just going to go get lunch. I need a lozenge. Yeah. Um, but, but one tip, I think, for our listeners, just one way whether it's one tool to think about using in valuation or just one tip that we can all use, uh, something to think about as it regards valuation. Sure. I think um, from kind of a 20,000-foot perspective, understanding valuation and using valuation um, is based on, on the theory that price does matter. Um, and it can actually, we can tie it back to Buffett, who actually spoke about his own stock, Berkshire stock, and he said, listen, if you're going to go out and buy our stock for two times book value, then I can't. For, I'm paraphrasing. I can't really guarantee exactly how you're going to do in that investment. I can't help you. Um, Buff, Berkshire itself is willing to buy back stock at 1.2 times or less. He thinks it's fine for the average investor to pay a little bit higher than that. They're not willing to. But he said, if you're going to pay, you know, almost two times what we're willing to pay, you know. All bets are kind of off because we don't we don't know how that will do going forward, and and what that means is price does matter, valuation matters. When you buy a stock, you should be aware of the price you're paying versus the value you are getting, and I think that's essential. And then the the caveat to that, the other side, the pitfall is you have to be careful not to anchor. Anchoring is a, a behavioral finance term where it says don't focus on one point in time or one thought you have about valuation. Constantly update your thinking. Constantly update your thoughts on valuation. What you thought two years ago might not be the case any longer, but if you are anchoring on it, you're going to start to make mistakes. That sounds like great advice. It also sounds like it's really hard to do because it goes against human nature. It's very hard to do. And behavioral finance teaches about human nature and about how emotions govern our decisions. Um, I firmly believe that anybody can really, if they put the time in, learn these concepts, the, the, the valuation concepts using Excel, how to ascertain competitive advantage. But the governing of the emotions part of it is the hardest thing that people have to learn. And, and it takes some time. 
time, but it can be done. One last question, and then we'll wrap up. I was talking uh, at the reception last night with a couple of members, and the concept of falling in love with a price came up. And by that, I mean looking at a stock, particularly a stock that is falling, and thinking, okay, when it gets to that price, when it gets to that exact dollar amount, that's when I'm going to buy. Is that, because I and I said during this conversation, that's the biggest mistake I ever made in investing was falling in love with a price of a stock, and and it got really close to that price, but it didn't hit it exactly, and then it went back up, and I never bought it, and it just kept going up. I think you do have to be careful about being assuming that valuation is a precise exercise. It's very imprecise, and buying something at twelve or twelve dollars and fifty cents. Theoretically, shouldn't matter that much if you're going to be holding those shares for years and years and years, and you're buying a great business that are going to compound its own results and your results over time. So, again, don't be too precise. Don't anchor on just one price. If you came up with that price two years ago, reevaluate it today and don't be too crazy about it. I want to thank those of our listeners who voted for us for the annual podcast awards. The nominations came out on Sunday night. And in the business category, uh, category Market Foolery was not on the list. We were we were not one of the nominated. Come on, you know what? That's okay though. That's that's fine. I appreciate that people are willing to vote for us and go to that website. Yes, and, that's, you know, that's we're, very nice. we're not we're not in this for the accolades. And yet, I would be remiss if I did not mention <laughs> that GoBankingRates.com, which is an online portal for just a whole heck of a lot of banking information, rates on mortgages, car loans, credit cards, etc. Go Banking Rates came out with their list of the best financial radio shows and podcasts, and Motley Fool Money was on that list. And you can vote for the winner if you want. You can go to GoBankingRates.com. There are some phenomenal shows on that list. Dave Ramsey, uh, Clark Howard, both of whom we've had on the radio show. Uh, the Freakonomics podcast. We've had Stephen Dubner from Freakonomics. You know, good company to be in. Very good company to be in. We love those guys. Uh, but we're voting for us. Well, of course, we're gonna we're, we're gonna vote for us. <laughs> so if you would like to, uh, you can go to gobankingrates.com. But you know what? Vote vote your conscience. Just just vote for whichever. Just vote. Just vote early. Vote often. <laughs> As they say in Chicago. Uh, thanks for being here, man. My pleasure. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.